Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. I'm going to invite Brennan to the stage. He's going to do our, our scripture reading this morning. Matthew 2, 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had, when he had called together all the people's chief priests and, and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warmed in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Wonderful, thank you. So perhaps this is a story that you've heard before. Uh, you'll have noticed that as we were reading the text together, uh, our third Advent candle was lit, uh, and this week marking the theme of joy. Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I would invite you as we, as we enter into the text today to consider this idea of joy, how the holidays, they most definitely can be a difficult season, a time where maybe joy is hard to come by, but, but that's okay. Because we, just like we hold on to faith at moments in our story for one another, I think we can do the same with our joy holding on to joy for one another. Because our joy is a gift that is given to us. It is the incomparable gift of Jesus. Uh, Brene Brown, she says that joy is the deep, lasting happiness of the soul whose hope is built on Jesus Christ. Joy collected over time fuels resilience, ensuring we'll have reservoirs of emotional strength when hard things do happen. So may this morning be a space where we can fill our reservoir, or we can have joy in conversation, in worship, in the word, in community. And then as we step out of the doors that perhaps there is challenges and struggles that we face that the reservoir of joy can be tapped into. And even when it doesn't make sense, uh, we can experience the fullness of it because it comes through Christ. So the third week of Advent, joy. But it's great to see your faces on this 
second weekend of December. Uh, like I said, two weeks till Christmas. I, I don't know about you, but that is feels hard to believe. Uh, thankfully, uh, I, I'm not the, the planner in, in our relationship, but my, my wife is, and so we are, we're, we're set. And so I get to say we are ready for Christmas, um, when perhaps I would have not said that <laughs> as accurately in the past. If this is your first time here at City Collective, uh, my name is Jason. I'm the lead pastor here, and we get the privilege of gathering together today. And wherever you find yourself on your journey of faith, Christian, non-Christian, atheist, agnostic, not sure about Jesus, we hope that this is a safe space for you uh, wherever you do find yourself. We are in the third Sunday of Advent. And last week, we considered at the end of Matthew chapter 1 the story of, of Joseph, uh, a story that maybe there is a little bit of familiarity with, but is not a character that's given very much platform in the Christmas season. And, and we looked at the way in which Joseph, he, he models what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, ironically. And, and we looked at the way in which he enters into the mess of a scandalous Christ, uh, Christmas beginning. And if you wanted to, to catch up on that, you can find that on, on our website or via podcast. But I would encourage you that this is one of the ways that we can be engaging together as a church. We're looking at Matthew 1 and Matthew 2 over this Advent season. So today is the beginning of Matthew chapter 2, which we read together. And we find a, a familiar story. Wise men coming from the east. And... This is a challenge I think we often face around Christmas, or if you are raised in a, in a Christian family or you've been exposed to the Christmas, Christmas traditions on a consistent basis, we get very familiar with stories. This story in particular is often set aside for, for the Christian calendar moment of, of epiphany that takes place on January 6th, but we're, we're, we're jumping, jumping the gun a little bit because we're just in Matthew chapter 2, but what I find often when it comes to familiarity is that familiarity disconnects us from curiosity. If I feel like I know the story, if I feel like I'm already well-versed in it, or I, I, I don't have anything new that could possibly come from it, I don't ask questions of the story as we read it. I wonder, even as we were reading it, if, if you glazed over in a similar manner as the Sunday that we read the genealogy. Maybe for different reasons, but you disconnected and, and the curiosity of the moment didn't really take place because of the familiarity of the text itself. The story of the wise men bringing gifts to Jesus has grown incredibly familiar to us. But this morning, I wonder, would you actually consider their arrival to be something unexpected? Is that the word that you would associate with the story? Because, because it was. This was an extremely unexpected arrival of what was likely an unwelcome group of men. And, and for us in, in our Christmas journey, I wonder, how do you respond in the face of the unexpected and this doesn't have to be a bad thing. You could have a great response in the unexpected. Maybe you love the chaos. You're like, a spark of the unexpected means you thrive within it. Uh, for, for my wife and myself, we had the opportunity, thankfully, right before COVID hit, to, to go on our honeymoon. And so January of 2020, we were able to be, spend some time in the Caribbean. It was great. And we were going from a couple different islands. And 
we were planning one night to quickly jump over to the next, and we got to the airport, and we should have known better when we planned the trip, but we got stranded on said island with no place to stay. And so the, the airline was, was very generous in my mind. I'm like, oh, we're, we're going to get put up for the night. Great. And they're like, you're going to get put up at this all-inclusive resort, and we're going to put you there. Great. Awesome. Uh, we show up at this all-inclusive resort, and we're like, this is why we got put up here for the night, because we, we get to our room, and it was not what we had expected. And so we had planned this amazing trip, and, and my wife had put time and energy in, into making sure it was exactly what she had to dreamed of and hoped for, and then we get to this room, and the first thing we said is, I don't know if we're going to take the covers off of that bed tonight. Uh, may, maybe we sleep on top of the blankets. Uh, the, and, and we were spoiled in so many ways, but because we had expected one thing when we got the other, it led to a very honest response, I would say. And part of the honest response was understanding, yes, I, I knew this before. It's very accurate right now. My wife is a little fancy. She likes nice things. And the other part of that as well, well, I'm also a little fancy because I was not going to be leaning into that as well. And so you, you have this honest response in an unexpected moment. And even when we look at this story, I want you to see each of the characters at play. There's an unexpected circumstance that takes place. And actually, I think we see an incredibly honest response from all of them. It's a, it's a response that whether they like it or not, they're providing it in this story and it's revealing a lot about themselves. This story is full of the unexpected. The Magi themselves, Herod, Jerusalem, Jesus' family, and it's fascinating to see how the response to the unexpected is often an honest one. This is the story of the Magi coming from the far east to the small town of Bethlehem. And, and Matthew, he doesn't tell us many of the familiar Christmas stories that that you might know. He doesn't talk about the visitation to, to Mary. He doesn't talk about the meeting of cousins. He doesn't, doesn't reference the shepherds. Instead, he gives us this story of magi coming from the east. And as we consider this passage, I want us to remember what we talked about in week one, that our author in Matthew, he is a brilliant writer. And just like in the genealogy that is provided at the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, there is an intentionality in his writing and what he's choosing to write about according to the people that he's writing to. So it's a Jewish audience that he has in mind. So this is a very much why the story of the Magi is presented. Now, despite nativity scenes, Christmas carols, plays that you have seen in regards to the wise men or cute kids costumes uh, we, we actually don't know a lot about these magi in fact uh, i'm going to burst your nativity scene bubble a little bit this morning uh, they were not in the barn with jesus uh, they were not hanging out with the shepherds when this was all going on. In fact, it says very specifically that they find Jesus in a house. And, and though they are the ones to bring gifts, like I said, we don't know a lot about them. We, we often sing about there being three of them. But all we really know is that there were three gifts that were given. Often, magi, they traveled in larger groups. It was likely that it was a contingent of them that were traveling together. And even with it saying that Jerusalem was deeply troubled upon their arrival, probably indicates that this wasn't a stealthy force making its way into the city, but rather a contingent that made some noise upon their arrival. 
sorry to burst, burst the nativity scene bubble. We also know that we, we don't really know their names, and I know it pops, pops up sometimes in pop culture movies or, or plays, but we don't know their names, and we don't know Jesus' exact age upon their arrival. We know that he's under the age of two because of the way that Herod would, would provide his decree for the execution of babies in the town once he learned of the arrival of Jesus. That's about all that we do know. So with all that we, we don't know out of the way, what do we do know? We know that the Magi were following a star that brought them out of their way to find Jesus. We know that they speak to King Herod upon their arrival. And we know that they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Here's our big idea for our talk today. The unexpected journey of the Magi reveals the nature of God and the nature of humanity. The unexpected journey of the Magi reveals the nature of God and the nature of humanity. Often, the less we expect a circumstance, the more we reveal about ourselves. So we're going to take a little bit of Christmas charm off of the story, and we're going to look at it with a little bit more of brutal accuracy. This is a large group of pagan sorcerers who have arrived from a previously conquering nation with an enormous amount of wealth, and they gift it to a child that they believe is the fulfillment of a Jewish prophecy. This is weird. <laughs> this, is, this is an odd story. So I want to look at a few truths that are revealed about the nature of God and the nature of humanity through this odd story. First of all, the arrival of Jesus declares that all are welcome. I talked about it briefly. Uh, one, of, one of the things that we, we don't know exactly is the ethnic identity of our Magi. One of the proposed ones is that they are of Persian descent. Magi comes, uh, it comes to us more in the language of magic. It comes from a Persian uh, background. But there's also a lot of uh, arguments that they might come from a Babylonian background. They might come from an Arabian descent. Regardless of their ethnic identity, what we do know, and I want you to note, is that our travelers are not Jewish. And it's worth seeing that from the very beginning of Jesus' story, Jesus' life brings outsiders into his home. This is the first posture of Christ, that all are welcome into the home of Jesus, regardless of background or cultural identity. And this was significant to the people he was speaking to, a Jewish audience would have been resistant to this conquering nation of people coming to the doorstep of their proposed Messiah. Regardless of the gifts they might have in hand, I might like the fact that they brought gifts to the doorstep, but it wasn't something they would have enjoyed, accepted, or related to culturally. But Jesus immediately, even from the very moments of his childhood, is overcoming the assumptions and, and, and the the awkwardness that we often have in our lived-out tribalism in life. And this is, this is real for us today. Unfortunately, tribalism runs, runs rampant within our culture. 
whether it is within our ethnicities, whether it is within our, our, our cultural makeup or within our demographics or our socioeconomic states, those are all different ways in which we find ways for us to live separately. But Jesus welcomes all. This is the declaration that's made from the very beginning. And this wasn't a one-off. Because throughout Jesus' ministry, this is proposed and presented over and over and again. And then upon his resurrection, and he, he makes this declaration that the nations would come to know him. And then Paul goes forward and he begins to, to spread the word to the Gentiles. And you see this take place over and over, that all are welcome at the table of God. This was the nature of God presented right away. The nature of God is evident from the beginning that all are welcome. And what this story does then right away is it challenges us to reconsider all the people who we see as outside the boundaries of God's love. Often, if someone does not exist within our tribe, either intentionally or unintentionally, we can draw boundaries around them according to what we think God's love will actually go to. This story is pushing back against that right off the bat and making that invitation to us. Can you see the boundaries you have drawn and will you move past them? It challenges us to abandon our tribalism, to expand our tents, and to welcome even those whom we would prefer not to love. It's a burning issue because loving those outside our tribe is really difficult, but Jesus leads the way. And when we seek to live like Christ, we'll begin to see people as, as Jesus does. Welcome and made in the image of God. Genesis 1 verse 27 says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. All people, not some people, not your people, not my people, are made in the image of God. All people are made in the image of God, and therefore all people are welcome. So the first prayer I want us to be considering this morning, we need to pray to have eyes that see people as God sees them we will be unable to welcome people into our circles until we see people the way that God sees them. The second thing that's revealed through the Magi is that the arrival of Jesus shows us that God is not bound by our imagination and understanding. I love the weirdness of this story. I love where they come from and how, how they get there and, and the oddness of it all because you, maybe you've heard of these wise men being called kings, the, the three kings of Orient. You've heard about it in song. And in most biblical translations, they're called magi. And magi is connected to our word magic. And that's a much cooler name, actually, than, than kings, in my opinion. Magi is pretty cool. And these aren't, this isn't talking about magic like a stage magician who's getting up on there and he's pulling a rabbit out of his hat. Magi means ancient astrologer, which is a form of divination. And, and it still happens today within our own culture. We see it in horoscopes, but this was a big deal in the ancient world. 
All of the ancient cultures and the surrounding nations of Israel believed that gods communicated to the people through patterns and movements of the stars. And what's remarkable about these characters is that kings and royal courts, they pay attention to this group of individuals, these magi. And they pay attention to them to the degree that they would often consult them on significant decision-making. They were paid a lot of money to make ruling decisions, whether it was going to war, preparing for famine, making, making a, a, an economic decision. They would always be involved in the decision-making ma- process. This was an important group of people. These guys were professionals. And then we have Israel, and then as we see them in the Old Testament, they believe in one God, and they don't worship the stars, and they don't think that the stars are talking to them. So all of these these dynamics, we see the way one group of people are existing, we see the way that the Israelites are existing, and that was the stuff of surrounding pagan nations, and yet, it is those magi that came seeking the one who was the fulfillment of a prophecy given to the people of Israel. So when those characters come onto the scene, there's a lot of red lights going off. I feel like the the language of Jerusalem is troubled is probably underselling the manner in which the people would have felt. If they were of of Babylonian, Arabian, or, or Persian descent, all of those nations had conquered Israel at one junction or another. At a baseline, the relationship is not a good one. And they must have thought to themselves, well, even if God welcomes those outsiders, are we sure about them? These, these magicians, these, this conquering people, these pagans. Sure, they might have gifts, but this seems to go against everything that I think is right about God. And they get to town and they start searching for baby Jesus and they talk to Herod and they go looking for and for Jesus after he gives the okay and they go find Jesus and they're told to report back but instead they are, they're told in a dream to, to not return to King Herod. So they go to Bethlehem and they find the house of Jesus. And what's fascinating to me about this story is that none of the expected normal ways that God typically works are really evident in this story. Remember, these are pagan sorcerers from a distant land who are doing the things that they normally do to hear from the gods, and they happen to tune into the right radio station. They they weren't fasting and praying for, for weeks on end, and suddenly it came to them, so perfectly because of the way in which they engaged. And God is doing something that he does throughout history. He accommodates them. Or maybe it's better said, he meets them where they're at. He reveals himself to them where they're at so they might meet him, and be changed. This was the nature of God at work. That God will always do more than you would expect to meet you where you're at.
And the end result of, of this moment is that they are one of the first worshipers of the Messiah. And, and, it, and it doesn't end there. Upon finding the house of, of Jesus, they bring three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's probably the part of the story that we're most familiar with. Essentially, they're bringing cash, they're bringing really nice incense and really fine, fragrant oils. These all together would have been a massive amount of money. It would have been an, a very expensive gift that was given to them. And this is interesting not because of the gifts themselves, but because of what happens immediately after. If, if you want to this week, I would invite you to continue reading through Matthew chapter 2. And what you're going to find in the verse immediately after is that the, the Holy Family, Joseph, Mary, and Jesus, they discover that there is an execution order being sent to Bethlehem, so they need to flee. So they've had these wise men, these magi, arrive at their doorstep with an enormous amount of money, and they are just given this gift, and now they're asked to flee to a foreign land as refugees. Let's, let's put some reality into this. Joseph is a tradesman going to a foreign land. It probably wouldn't have been easy to find work immediately. So it's pretty, it's, it's quite likely that because of the gifts of the wise men, this is how they covered their expenses over the next two years while he was scraping work together in Egypt. And again, the nature of God is presented that God is a provider. This is a crazy story of miraculous provision before the need was even evident. And, and, and again, I, I want, want you to note, God is acting in a manner outside of the expected. Our imagination, their imagination, would have maybe seen the provision of God come to them through, through an angel or, or through a friend of the family or through somebody in the church that, that they were a part of that would have given them the money that they needed to survive. But no, it came from pagan sorcerers in a foreign land who they did not even know who dropped a, a fortune on their doorstep and it made it possible for them to survive as refugees in a foreign country. I say all this to ask you the question, is your imagination and opinion of God so limited that we can't be open to seeing how God is using the world around us to continue to do a work within us? Have you, have you put boundaries around your imagination of God? He is capable of doing more than you could ever imagine in a way that you could never imagine. God provides, but he does so in a completely unconventional, slightly scandalous, unorthodox manner for Jesus and his family. There is a bigger story at play, and God makes a way for them. The third thing I want us to take from this story is that the arrival of Jesus confronts the kings of our world. As we read the Magi come to Herod, I want us to look at the character of, of King Herod because he's interesting to, to pay attention to. He, he gets really intrigued when he finds out about this king in this kingdom that he is leading that he's unaware of. And history actually tells us a lot about him. Uh, he's a mixed Jewish Gentile. 
probably of Arab descent. He came to his kingship because of his friendly rapport with an oppressive Roman Empire. Uh, History shows us that his father supported Julius Caesar and therefore was able to gain favor within the empire. And then for a century and a half, him and his family ruled that region. And they did so through oppressive means to gain a lavish and rich lifestyle. This is who we know Herod to be. Uh, Augustus, uh, a Roman Empire once uh, emperor, once said that it was safer to be Herod's pig than Herod's son. And he says this because Herod was infamously paranoid. Throughout his story, he murdered rivals, murdered family, and he murdered anybody who would seem to get in his way, real or imagined. Because he knew that the Jews who wanted a king of their own resented him, and given a chance, they would overthrow him. He was a deeply insecure man. Uh, Upon his upcoming death, he decreed that the elite group of citizens in the city of Jerusalem would be rounded up, and upon his death, they would also be killed, so that some tears would be shed when he died. This is who we know Herod to be. And even though he was not a godly man, he did worry about a God-ordained king born to take his place. So this news of a king in his kingdom was not well received, to say the least. And these magi of great influence and authority, they arrived looking for a king in his kingdom. They come looking for a new king. The stars led them to a Messiah named Jesus, and Herod's response is violent, and he lies, and he schemes, and he does awful things, and he performs an evil, evil act. But what led to the evil act? He didn't want to give up his throne. Herod represents all those willing to do whatever it takes to hold on to their power. And I'm not accusing anyone of planning mass murders, but we are guilty of doing whatever it takes to hold on to the power that we have. I would contend that this story is less about the gifts and it's more about the kings. The Gospel of Matthew is quite clearly pointing to this new kingdom. We've talked about it at length. We've discussed it through uh, Matthew chapter 3 through 5. We see Jesus presenting a new kingdom. And when a new kingdom arrives, a clash ensues. And here in this story, Jesus is born in the town of kings, in the town of David. And these figures, they herald the arrival of a king, and they bring gifts worthy of a king. This is all about a new king coming into the situation. The arrival of Jesus confronts the kings of this world. Because if the good news of Jesus was simply that our sins are forgiven, then it wouldn't provoke such a violent response. This is why the person of Jesus and the way of Jesus is threatening and rejected often when entered into new spaces because it immediately confronts 
and overthrows the authority that's present. Two different kings cannot reign simultaneously. And the arrival of Jesus was a threat to the kingship of Herod. And for us, there's a great quote from Tim Keller, and he says that in every heart, there is a little King Herod that wants to rule. And that is threatened by anything that may compromise his omnip its omnipotence and sovereignty. Each of us wants to be the captain of our own soul, the master of our own fate. The announcement of Jesus means that every idol must be dethroned. The kingship, kingship of Jesus is an attack on the thrones holding authority in our lives. Big categories, power, sex, money. Who sits on the thrones of, of those categories? Where does our allegiance actually end up lying? More often than not, we are about having us sit on the throne of our heart. The story of the Magi is less about the gifts and more about the kings. It reveals the nature of God and the nature of humanity. And here's the thing about the nature of God. It is unchanging. It might be revealed in different ways, but it is unchanging. Welcoming the outsider. Working outside of our imaginations. Meeting all people where they are at and being a provider. But the nature of our heart is where the question lies. The arrival of Jesus confronts the thrones of this world and they confronts the thrones of our heart. So the question that I want to leave you with this morning is what is threatened when Jesus arrives in your kingdom? The nature of God is unchanging. But when Jesus arrives on the scene, where do we feel threatened? Can we identify our own little Herods? Control, power, notoriety, reputation, influence, personal achievement, financial security. What are the ways that we are resistant to God actually sitting on the thrones of our hearts? And how might we be trying to eliminate that which seems to threaten us? The power by which Christ comes into the world, it's self-sacrificing. It's a humble, it's a life-giving power, but there's always a fight that wants to take back what Christ has. It's always pushing on us. It's always, it's always pulling on us. The relinquishment of the throne of our heart is the most powerful way in which we can experience the freedom of Christ. Because we spend our days over and over trying to hold on to the thrones of our hearts and therefore bearing the burdens that we are not meant to bear all on our own. And when we give up that seat of authority in our lives, we're going to find a king who's unlike any other. One worthy of our trust, one worthy of our worship, one worthy of our submission. What would happen in your life if you were to truly invite Jesus into it, you would stop being the king.
your kingdom would no longer be built. So are you prepared for that? Do you accept that? Can we actually live into that? I think there's incredible freedom to be found there. Worship team, you can join me at the front. Uh, I'm going to just ask you, if, if you're comfortable, would you just close your eyes with me as we, as we pray? Maybe in this moment, this is an unexpected one for you. Maybe you feel something pulling on your heart. Maybe something you had forgotten or, or pushed out of your mind has been brought back to the forefront. Or perhaps, even as we've talked, you feel, you feel convicted in the ways that you have held on to your own kingdom. Unexpected moments reveal honest responses. And the beauty of Jesus is that when we bring all that we are to us, to him, he meets us where we're at. He brings us exactly what we need and he welcomes us home. And he wishes to bear the burden of our hearts. So Heavenly Father, I just offer to you today just the, the thrones of our hearts. where we are holding on to control and feeling the weight of burdens and asking the question, why, why is it so heavy? I just pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear that the, the beautiful invitation that the Spirit is giving right here, right now. To let you take your seat on the throne of our hearts. To all who are weary and heavy burdens, you can find rest. The arrival of Jesus changes everything. And for us today, Father, I just pray that you would reveal to us in, in the spaces that we're in how we are holding on and how we need to let go. And even these themes of this Advent season of hope, of peace, and today of joy. I pray, Father, that joy would just come alive within each of us. That the struggles and burdens of our hearts would be alleviated with you on the throne of our hearts. And that we would experience the joy that comes from being in relationship with you. Thank you that the joy of the Lord is our strength. And may we be a people who are strengthened by that joy this morning. Holy Spirit, do something fresh within us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.